0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for the Connection Young Adult Ministry, part of Church on the Rock in Texarkana. Join us each week as we gather together to deepen our faith, connect with others, and grow in our knowledge of Scripture and relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're just starting your faith journey or you've been a Christian for years, this podcast is for you. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Fall is here. September is officially here. Who's excited for September? September. I'm so excited for the weather to kind of cool down. I hope in Jesus name. I'm a northern boy. I'm a Yankee. Um with pride I say that. I know it's kind of used as a, like a uh a insult down here, but I I wear it with pride. Um and so I am I'm not made for these Texas summers. There's too much. But it's September. The weather hopefully is taking a turn and we are starting our brand new series called This What is it? This is my story. I was going to say this story is mine, and I knew that wasn't right. Uh, This is my story. And basically, the whole point of this series is to show you guys the importance of sharing your testimonies, what sharing what God has done for you to other people can do in their lives, how it can change people, how it can transform people, how it can encourage people, how it can build them up. Uh, And we're gonna talk all about that for, you know, until I don't wanna do that anymore. I don't know how long this is gonna be. But um, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. So I'm really, really, really excited about it. Y'all ready? All right, I'm gonna pray real quick and we're gonna get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We ask you, Lord, that you uh, would come into this room right now, would you open up our hearts and our minds so that we can uh, learn everything that you have for us, Lord. I pray that every word that's spoken from here on out um, is straight from your heart. We trust you, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, y'all, so we're gonna start out tonight um, in the book of Revelation chapter 12. I never like it when pastors say we're going to start out in the book of Revelation because I always get really nervous because like Revelation's really, it's a hard book to understand. Yes, some people and it's like a literal prophecy of what the future holds. You ask other people, it's like it's all allegory and figurative. You ask other people and they say this is stuff that's already happened and it's just, it's It's confusing and hard, so I always get a little bit nervous whenever a pastor's like, hey, we're going to preach out of Revelations. And they don't say revelation. They say revelations, which really bugs me. There is no S on the end of it. So if you're in this room and you call it Book of Revelations, stop it. There is no S. It is a single revelation. (laughs) Anyways, that's not what we're talking about tonight. I love each and every one of you. Uh, So we're going to start out. We're going to be looking in uh, Revelation chapter 12. And... Um, it's kind of a weird story. Well, the whole thing's a little weird, right? But this 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 part in particular is a little strange. Um, we've got this weird story about a war going on in heaven, and there's this pregnant lady standing on the moon, and there's a red dragon that's spewing water, um, not fire, which is like sort of counterintuitive, and he's trying to eat a baby, and it's just, it's... It's weird and confusing and don't really know, but that's not what we're, we're really uh, talking about. But I'm just trying to kind of package this all up. You know I like context. I'm really, really big on context. Don't just take one verse. You got to kind of look at what the context is saying. Um, and so, of course, like I said, there are some scholars reading this weird story about a pregnant woman standing on the moon in labor being chased by a dragon. Um, some people say if this is something that's going to happen um, in the future, um, it it's it might be a little bit allegory, might be a little bit um, reality, like factual, literal. Um, to me, this particular section, and this is my interpretation. You, you feel like feel free to disagree, and it's this is not imperative to the message of tonight. So even if we dis- disagree here, trust me, it, it, it's not really going to make a big difference. But um, to me, this seems like an explanation of something that already has happened because Jesus talks about how he watched Satan or he watched the accuser fall like lightning from heaven he's talking about how it already happened and then this seems to be a the story of how he got cast out of heaven. And so it would make sense to me that that this is kind of what Jesus was referencing. Um, so it's, it's uh, kind of like a figurative retelling of past events, um, how Satan fell from heaven. Uh, but kind of in the middle of all this, we have this really beautiful poem. It's a poem of victory. Uh, and you can always tell in your Bible how... It's a po- how it's poetry or if it's poetry by the fact that it'll look like it's indented a little bit, like it'll be indented and then it'll have a little bit and then it'll skip to the next line and that next line will be indented and it kind of looks like um, something like you might quote in a research paper or something. That's how you can always tell when it goes from like normal text to that like indented kind of portion um, where each line is like starting a new line, that's how you can always tell that it's poetry. Um, and so th- there's this poem um, and it's beautiful, and it's this, this, uh, it says that there's a loud voice shouting across heaven, and it's declaring uh, this poem. It speaks of the defeat of the accuser, the defeat of Satan, by the people of God, okay? And it says, this is in verse, um, verse 11 of chapter 12, it gives three ways by which the people of God overcome the enemy, okay? There's the blood of the lamb, which is what? Jesus' blood, right? The blood that Jesus shed on the cross for our sins. That's the first way in which we overcome the enemy. The second way, the testimony of the saints, people, and if you don't know what the word testimony means, it's people telling the story of what God has done in their lives, People talking about uh, maybe how God has healed them, maybe how God has brought them out of a life of sin, out of addiction, out of depression. You know, just whatever God has done in your life, telling people what he's done, that is your testimony. And the third way is the willingness to pursue God's will rather than our own comfort in the sacrificial giving of their lives in the face of persecution, right? By the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimonies, and they love not their lives unto death. Those are, kind of, those are the three ways that the Bible says right there in chapter 11, that we overcome the enemy. This is, what, oh, one more time. <laughs> Cassandra's asking for it again. The blood of the lamb, Jesus's sacrifice, the word of our testimonies, what God has done in our lives, and our willingness to give up our lives for Christ. We got it? We got it. All right, I, I got you, girl. Um... So, these are the three ways. Um, we've discussed what it means to give up your life for the sake of the kingdom in Philippians, right? We talked all about being sacrificial, laying yourself down, putting others before yourself. We've kinda of talked all about that. Um, we've talked at length about salvation throughout our whole time here. If we're not talking about the gospel regularly, we're, we're making a mistake, right? If, if the church can't even talk about the gospel inside of its four walls, then you know, we're not doing a good job. So we know that. The blood of the lamb, check. Giving up our lives for others, check. We can follow what Jesus did. Um, but that, that, that other one, the middle one, um, sometimes we don't always talk about it. Um, and that's what this whole series is gonna focus on. It's the testimony of the saints as a tool for overcoming the enemy. A lot of times we think that like our story is just like a fun little thing that we can tell people about how Jesus saved us. But the Bible literally tells us that there's power in it. It is a tool that God can use to help us overcome the enemy. We can win. We can beat our sin. We can beat the attacks that he puts on us when we share our testimonies. A little bit later in the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 19, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's kind of a weird verse, um, but I know we've talked about this before, but basically what it means is the testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has done in your life is the spirit of prophecy. It means that what he did for me, he can do for you. That's what that is saying. So there's power in our testimonies because it builds people up, it builds their faith up and it helps them to overcome the things that the enemy is throwing at us, right? The story of what God has done in our lives has immense Power to change people's lives. Testimonies, like I said, of overcoming addiction, overcoming depression, things like that. Um, testimonies of transformed lives. I used to live in sin. I was sleeping around. I was a partier. I did this, and then I met Jesus, and now all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm living a holy lifestyle. Testimonies of healing. Right? If 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 I stood up here and told you all the people in my family who have been healed and delivered of cancer, that would build up your faith. If you're facing a cancer in your life, whether it's you or a family member, it builds up your faith to see what Jesus has done for others. When you hear about it, it builds up your faith so that you can then walk in victory even when it doesn't look like it. You see what I'm saying? All of these things can meet people where they're at and God can move through them to draw them to himself. And so what we have to do, it's kind of almost a biblical mandate that we be sharing what God has done in our lives. You know, uh, I think it was last, not, not last week, last week was Survivor Night. Who came to Survivor Night and had fun? Like three people. No, every, no there was a lot of hands for you listening on the podcast. There really was a lot of hands. Uh, you yeah, know, we had a great time. Sarah King was our sole survivor. She won the, the hundred bucks, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. The week before Survivor Night, we were in small groups and we were talking about you know, salvation, and we even got a chance to share our testimonies, a couple of us, people that, that, um, that wanted to, and so there's, the reason we do that as Christians, the reason we should practice that, the reason we should be ready to share what God has done in our lives is not for us, It's not for my benefit. It's not so people can hear my awesome story. It's because my awesome story, which is made awesome because of Christ, not because of me, my awesome story can speak to other people and change and impact their lives. And that's why we need to be ready and prepared. And so this whole, for the next few weeks, we are gonna be talking all about the importance and the power that is in our testimonies. Are y'all excited? I'm excited. That one was. Re- you guys do sound excited. All right. All right. All right. Um, so we're. Uh, I want to draw your attention tonight to a story in the Bible that uh, it's all about the very first evangelist that we ever kind of see in Scripture. Um, so I want to draw your attention to this story about the first. Evangelist. Uh, it's not Peter. It's not Andrew. It's not um, you know any of the people that we might think of. Uh, this is kind of a, a an interesting story. Um, it's actually the story of a woman, and uh, the the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, their their tradition holds that her name was uh, Fatini. You can find her story in the book of John chapter four. Uh, Fatini, also known as the woman at the well. Um, so we're gonna kind of talk about this. Uh, if you wanna open up your Bibles to it, we can. We're not gonna really read for sake of time. I'm gonna kind of just talk us through the story, but hopefully this is a story that you all are familiar with. Um, and so if you want, like I said, if you wanna open up, it's great. It's uh, John chapter four, the woman at the well. I'm sure there's a little like subtitle over that, that section, but um, so here we go. So Jesus and his disciples—they are walking through Samaria. They're trying to get. They were. They were in like um, northern Israel, and they had to get to southern Israel. But right in the middle, uh, I believe it was northern and then southern. They might have been southern going northern. I'm not really sure. Uh, I should have ch- double checked that in my head. I knew it, and I, I realized that I could be lying to you, and I apologize. But they were trying to get from one end to the other end. But kind of in the right in the middle, um, you know, the fastest. Way between two points is a straight line, Um, but right in the middle of these two sections was Samaria, okay? This was a chunk of land that was not part of Israel. These were not Jews that lived in Samaria. In fact, Samaritans were like the enemies of the Jews, sworn enemy. The Jews thought that they were like the pure chosen people of God, and Samaritans were like, like mudbloods. Um, if you will, for all my HP nerds out there, they were a mix of people. And so the Jews looked at the Samaritans as like less than, and the Samaritans hated the Jews for the way that they looked at them. So they weren't really friends, okay? And so Samaria is right in the middle. And so normally, if you were going from here to there, you would go around, if you were Jewish, you would go around Samaria. But Jesus was like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm going go straight through. I got, a, I got an appointment to make, so we're gonna go. So they walk right through Samaria and they get to uh, this city named Sakkar, and not like from Thor Ragnarok, not that Sakkar, a different Sakkar. And uh, they get there and they're hungry. And so they park by a well and Jesus sends his disciples into the city to buy food. Okay, so um, they go in to buy food and Jesus is sitting out here by the well and out walks this woman in the middle of the day with her big jars, pots of, uh, that she's going to fill up with water. So at the time, you know, it's hot in the middle of the day, right? And if you have to walk miles outside carrying heavy objects, usually you would want to go when it's cooler, right? If you, like in the summertime, if you ever want to do work outside, when's the best time to do it? In the morning, yeah six a m right it 's been cool all night, the sun's been down uh, it's had time to kind of cool off, and so normally what, what the women would do is they'd, they'd get their their stuff and they would uh, walk out early in the morning to fill up their pots and get back before they had to you know be too hot and too sweaty and all that. Well, this woman, for some reason, all by her lonesome, was walking out in the middle of the day. The reason as you know we find out, is because she was. There was some shame. She didn't want to be, or maybe she wasn't welcome around the other women. And we're gonna see, uh, talk about that in, in a little bit. So she comes to get some water where Jesus is sitting and then they get in a conversation, right? Um, and Jesus starts talking to her and revealing things like he has knowledge of things about her and her life that nobody, no stranger certainly could know right? Um, he knows that uh, she's been married five times. He knows that the man she's living with right now isn't even her husband. Um, he, and then he decides to not just tell her things about her that he knows, but he decides to reveal things about him that she doesn't know. This is the first Gentile to have the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. It's the first person outside of like Jesus's family and, the, and, and and his followers and a couple of choice other Jews. The first person that's not a Jew to know that um, who Jesus really was. And this is really unusual. It's a very, very unusual thing because couple reasons. One, um, men in this this period in history, men did not speak to women in public. That was not something that they did. It was very shameful for a man, especially a woman, for a man to speak to a woman who was not his wife. So Jesus just interacting with this woman, first of all, it was like a huge social no-no. That was something that, that men just didn't do. Um, in addition, Jesus has a huge theological discussion with this woman, right? Talking about living water and, and where people are going to worship and like do the, Samar- the Samaritans worship on their mountain and the Jews worship in Israel. And Jesus gets into, well, soon it's not going to matter where you worship because the kingdom of God is here. And he's looking for worshipers in spirit and spirited in truth. He's having this really in-depth discussion theological debate, a lot of things that we say every week in church comes out of this conversation and it's with a woman who's not even a Jew. Like Jesus is having this conversation with a woman. A rabbi would never talk about theology with a woman. That was not a thing in this culture that they would do. It was a patriarchal society. And so Jesus was like breaking every rule there was to talk to this woman. Um, so talking to a woman, talking to a woman about theology and the fact that she was a Samaritan is all of this stuff, the, the, the sworn enemy of the Jews, all of this is like just a crazy, crazy, crazy instance, okay? Um, I wanna talk about Fatini for a little bit. This and again, the, the this, this woman, the woman at the well, the Eastern Orthodox uh, Church, they have kind of, had this oral tradition that that is her name. So that's what we're going to call her. It may not have been her name, but that's just for the sake. I just don't want to call her the woman at the well. I want to give her a name. So um, Fatini is her name. A lot of times we characterize her as like a harlot, someone who, uh, of, of ill repute, right? She had five husbands. She's living with a guy. She's shacking up. She's not even married to him. Um, and we kind of think of her as like, she was this, this kind of promiscuous troublesome woman, and then Jesus came and saved her. But when you really stop to think about it, um, th- that kind of falls apart, um, and, and here's why. So uh, if she's had five husbands, that means she's probably had at least four divorces, right? Right? because you know, divorce from the first guy, divorce the second guy. And she may have been married to the fifth one still, we don't know, but we know she was definitely not living with him, she was living with some other guy. Um, but probably divorced, probably five divorces. For a woman in the ancient Near East to be divorced um, was almost impossible for her to initiate Uh, Women could not own property, women, uh, like, there, there are some documented instances of, like, a woman who's being treated very, very poorly. She could, like, go to the court and petition for a divorce, and she could, like, get out of that marriage. But even if that happened one time, for that to happen five times... Nearly impossible. The odds of that that she married five guys that treated her so badly, and she was able to get a divorce from the court. so most likely um, okay, well actually i 'm skipping ahead of myself. so so she could not have filed for divorce. she would not have had a choice in the matter. Um, so, what are some reasons for divorce? We know that Jesus said that, like divorce, uh, if if there's unf- infidelity, unfaithfulness, like that's that's a okay reason for divorce. But um, if she had cheated on her husband once, maybe she could have escaped punishment. But you know, because the punishment for adultery at this time was death by stoning right? So maybe, maybe let's say the first husband, she cheats on him and she gets out of the punishment. Somehow she's able to skirt around it. There is no way that she could have cheated on five different husbands and still been breathing. Just, there's no way. Adulterers, adulteresses, however you want to say it, they were, they were, it was a crime punishable by death. And then on top of that, even if she could have avoided the punishment, for a single Jewish, or I guess Samaritan man, but for a single man of this time and place to marry a known adulteress would have been, I mean, shame on his whole family. Like dishonor and shame, that would have never happened. A man would never have married a woman known to have committed adultery, much less a woman who had been committed adultery multiple times and got out of multiple marriages. Okay? You guys see what I'm saying here? Our idea of who this woman was is probably very, very flawed. What's more likely is that she had been repeatedly cast aside and rejected by all of these men for various reasons. Maybe she was hard to live with. Maybe she was just a pain. But maybe she was barren and they wanted a woman who could give, her, give them children. Maybe they thought she came from money and then they married her and found out that her family had, had none. And so you see this woman who more likely than not was not a promiscuous harlot, but rather a victim of the system in which she lived. It was impossible for a woman in this time to survive without a man. You just you could not do it. It would be nearly impossible short of being a prostitute. And clearly she was not that. And so what we see here is almost certainly she just was doing what she could just to survive, just to get by. Maybe she was a child bride. Maybe she was promised to a man at a very young age and then it, she, it came of age and maybe they were legally married but he realized I wanted somebody else maybe for a better financial situation so he cast, divorces her and marries someone else and then she goes to another man and, she, and, and he takes pity on her, marries her but then years into the marriage, she can't have children and he needs to have an heir for his wealth, so he divorces her to find someone else. And you go down this thing and you see this woman who has been so broken and so abandoned and so rejected over and over and over again. And she keeps having to get married because that's the only way that she can live. She's just trying to survive, trying to put food on her table. You can tell that she's willing to work because she's going out in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day just to get water for her household. Like she's not... Uh, This is not uh, an evil woman. This is not a wicked woman. In fact, she's incredibly intelligent. This woman has an intense theological debate with Jesus Christ himself, and she's quoting scripture and making all these things. Women were not taught scripture, and yet somehow this woman, she had a wonderful mind, and she was able to make her way in a world, granted not in the way that she probably would have envisioned, but taking the dealt, the cards that she was dealt, she was able to find a way to survive by marrying husband after husband after husband. Maybe when she got divorced the fifth time, she found a man that would take her in, but he wasn't willing to marry her because she'd been married so many times. And so she's just trying to do anything she can just to make it. This is not a wicked woman. This is not a promiscuous woman. This is a woman who is just trying to survive. And Jesus, he sees through this all. He knows. He he knew that she would be there. He planned to go through Samaria and be at that well just at the right moment alone so that he could meet her and he could talk to her. Jesus didn't care about the social norms and all that mess. He didn't care about what she had been through at all. This is the longest conversation that Jesus has in all of scripture. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all throughout the entire Bible, any like one continuous conversation, this is the longest by far, and it's with a woman. Jesus saw something in this woman that he wanted to bring forth. She's, she's actively involved in this conversation too, right? She's not just letting Jesus talk to him. He, she's challenging her. She's using her intelligence to fight back against things that Jesus is saying that sound counterintuitive to her. Granted, she hasn't had the full realization. Jesus is telling her the truth, but she's trying to deal with it. You can see the process going on just in this conversation. Um, and again, he, he reveals himself to her as the Messiah before the, he let anybody else know that he's the Messiah. Like this, is, this was not public knowledge, right? And he's revealing himself to this woman. And yes, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Yes, he feasted with, with um, tax collectors and prostitutes and all of these things. But we do, what we don't see here is Jesus say like, go and sin no more. We don't see... Her repenting because of all the the sin she's done. We don't see that, but what we do see, and this is the the best part. Her and Jesus, they have this big conversation, right? And then what does she do? She runs back to the town, leaping, skipping, shouting for joy, and she starts telling every single person that she can. You have to come meet this guy that I just met. He told me everything I've ever done. You have to meet this man. And for 48 hours straight, it says for two days, she's running around the city telling people about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and bringing them to him. And he is preaching to them. And it says that most most of the city became believers in Jesus as the Messiah because of this woman. This was not just some ordinary lady, right? Like Jesus picked her for a reason. Um, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, they teach that she became, they, gave, they give her the title of the mother of evangelists. She was the first one. Oral tradition tells us that she was there at Pentecost in the upper room uh, with them. She received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that day. She carried, again, these are oral traditions that have been passed down through the generations. Uh, she carried the truth of the gospel all over Samaria, Carthage, and even into Rome. Um, there, are church, there are sermons from like the first couple hundreds, like three, 400 AD. There are sermons that refer to her, refer to her as an apostle, like on the level of, of Paul and John and all these, and Peter, um, there, there's a story. This is really awesome. There's a story about her face-to-face with Nero, the evil emperor who was destroying the, the first century church. She's sitting there face-to-face, face-to-face, and he asks if they're ready to die for the Nazarene, and she replied, yes, for the love of him we rejoice, and in his name we will gladly die. The stories say that she spent three years in a Roman prison getting news that her friends and her family were being hunted down and killed because they were associated with her. And that entire three years that she spent in prison, she spent evangelizing and winning Romans to Christ throughout all that. And then of course, as is the ending of most evangelist stories in this day says that she was finally killed by being thrown headfirst into a deep dry well. I think it's beautiful that her story started and ended with a well where she met Jesus and then she got to meet Jesus face to face do we know that these stories about her after the biblical account are true? Not necessarily. We don't know that they are. We know that ancient Christians believed that they were true, but we can't, you know, definitely say one way or the other. Um, but either way, we see through her story the power of sharing your testimony. That whole city was changed because she was willing to go and share what Jesus had done. So like, what are you guys feeling right now about hearing this story about this woman who gave her life to evangelize the world? You feeling kind of like jazzed up? Feeling a little pride for her? A little bit of maybe like sadness, but also like excitement to go out there and tell people about Jesus? Yeah, that's the point. I just told you her story. I told you her testimony, and what did it do in your heart? It made you want to go and share your testimony, right? It, and that's what happens. That's the whole point of it, guys. When we, when we hear stories of what God has done in other people, it, it, it raises something up in us. And now hopefully most of us, we are believers, we are saved. So we don't need to, to have that encounter with Jesus that she had at the well and that the people in her town had. But it gets us excited to go out and do something big and world-changing for Christ. There is so much power in our testimonies that we, if we would just like get over ourselves and talk to people about Jesus instead of fantasy football or instead of you know survivor or instead of what's going on at work, like if we would take the time, put our phones down while we're waiting at the bank and talk to the people around us. Actually, you guys probably don't go and wait at a bank. What, this is 2023, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like uh, and lyric, if you can, you and the band can come back up. Um, but you see what I mean? There are so many opportunities where, if we would just take the time, if we would get just kind of outside of ourselves for just a minute and realize how much power there is in our testimonies, we could literally change the world. Every single one of you has a circle of influence. Every single one of you has knows people that need to know Jesus. Every single one of us. And it's our job to take what God has done in us and share it with other people. Let's be like Fatini. We've got the living water, y'all. The world is in a drought, and I don't mean... Climate-wise, I mean, spiritually, the world is in a drought and we have the secret to living water. It's inside of us. And if we would just get over ourselves and realize that we could save people, we can literally snatch people out of hell, not because of what you or I did, but because of what Jesus did. But again, we are made in the image of God. We have been given the authority to, that he has to go out and do his work. That's why God made us. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, tell people about me. And the easiest way to do that is to share your testimony. I don't think it's beneficial to walk up to somebody and just go, hey, you, you're a sinner, quit it. Like, that's that mo- most people are not going to take well to that, right? But if you're talking to somebody, and maybe, you know, maybe you're going through the drive through, they pull up, hey, welcome to Burger King. Hey, how's it going tonight? How you doing? You having a good night? Yeah, I guess it's okay. Oh, well, what's going on? What, what, what's the matter? I've done this before, and I'm telling you, they will sit and talk to you. They will. Cause they're just, they're getting paid by the hour. Why not? Right? And they'll talk to you and they'll tell you why they're having a bad day. And then you can say, man, you know, I used to struggle with depression. I used to be just all up in my head. I was anxious. I was depressed. But then I met somebody who changed all of that. His name is Jesus. Y'all, you could start a revival right there in Burger King. And it's easy, it's not a hard thing to do. And, and I know if you're like me, I don't really like to inconvenience people. Like I get that. I, I don't like to like take up your time and the... But what's more inconvenient? Spending a couple of minutes having a conversation with the person in the drive-thru at Burger King or spending eternity, eternity separated from God? I will choose to inconvenience someone every time if it means they get snatched out of the grip of hell. And that's why we sing that song tonight, that video, that little sermon bumper right before the sermon, that is true stories. Just pull those off of TikTok. People who they used to be and then who they are now getting baptized. They they were smoking dope on, on Instagram and then all of a sudden they're getting baptized. And there was one video in there, it's the guy getting baptized and then it shows him preaching and then it shows him baptizing somebody else in one of those videos. And like, that's what it's all about, guys. That's what our stories can do. The spirit or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What he did for me, he can and wants to do for you. Let's stand to our feet. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Michael and the Connection Leadership dive into the Word of God and explore how it applies to our daily lives. You can join us live every Thursday at 7 at Church on the Rock in Texarkana, Texas. Thanks for listening.